Okay, well, that was, he's, he's a great guy. I can, I'm excited to see what God's going to do through him in the uh, days, weeks, months, and years ahead. Okay, turning your Bibles to Genesis 28, Matthew 16, and Ephesians 4. And we're going to continue our, in our series in just a moment on what is church. And uh, let me just say that Lois and I had the privilege of attending a, uh, an intensive called Taking Your Church uh, to the Next, or Taking Your Church Atmosphere to the Next Level. And so when we left there after a few days, we saw 100 pastors just excited about believing God for a supernatural atmosphere to come in their churches. How many believe that God wants to have a supernatural church? And we want to take it to a new level. So today I want to talk to you about the kind of church that God wants to build and how he equips us to get the job done. And uh, so let's lift up our Bibles. No, that one there. Yeah, I brought my Bible today. (laughs) I usually bring my cell phone, smartphone, but how how many bring Bibles? You, you, You know why Bibles are so good? You need to learn how to flip to the chapters and the books and learn them. All right, say this with me. This is my Bible. God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this morning we uh, want to continue in this series, What is Church? And uh, I gave you two points last week but didn't give you the third one. How many would like the third one from last week? A few of you. Okay, well, see me afterward. No, I'll give it to you right now. Okay, this is what we said about church last week, speaking uh, on the idea that the church in the Old Testament was likened to a house, which was a physical house, but then it, it really is a spiritual house. And so in that spiritual house, we talked about how Jacob had a dream and there was a ladder going from heaven to earth. And uh, on that ladder where the angels of God were ascending and descending. And then Jesus gave us clarity about what that was that he's the ladder, he told us in the New Testament. So when we see the presence of God coming, it's Jesus. So we said church is a connection. Uh, in other words, church is becoming aware of the presence of God. So when you walk in here, you may have never been to church in your life, but when you walk in, the music's going, something begins to connect in your spirit, your body, your soul. It says, I don't know what it is, but, but something's different. Well, it's God is in this place. Number two, church is a conversation. It's a place where God talks to us, and he wants us to talk back to him. And uh, lastly, this is on your notes, so write this down. Church is a commitment. Now, look at these verses, Genesis 28, 20 through 22. It says, then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat, and clothing to put on, so be my provision and my protection, so that I can come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house, 
And of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth, okay, or a tenth to you. So when God spoke to Jacob, he made a commitment. In fact, he made a vow when God spoke to him. Now, last week we said, uh, we had an illustration where we said this is a street going uh, east and west, and this is a street going uh, north and south. And if, if somebody came into town and we were having some big festival and we saw them turning the wrong way and the festival's this way, and we, we would see, oh, they got out-of-town license plates, maybe wave them down but try to get their attention, say you're going the wrong way, or, or, or are you here for the festival? Yes. Then you need to turn and go that way. And how many know you can say, I'll do that, but if you don't make a commitment, you're not going to turn around. To, you have to, to turn around, you have to make a commitment. And once you're going in the right way, you, you can stay on the road and not turn off on a side road, or you'll never get to your destination. Also, I want to, to notice that Jacob's commitment, he made one that only his grandfather before him had ever done. Uh, outside of that, it had never been done in Israel before. And that's it. He said, I'll give you a tithe of all of my possessions and all my income. In other words, I'll give you 10% of everything. So the only one who'd ever done that was his grandfather, but he was so touched by God and his encounter with God that he said, Lord, uh, I want to give you 10% of everything. And I, I hope you can hear this in a loving way, but any true commitment will always involve your wallet. It's never a true commitment if it doesn't involve your finances. So you can go shopping and look and look and look, but until you take out your purse or your wallet and pay for some merchandise, you haven't made a commitment, all right? It always gets real quiet, just like Gary said, when money comes up. It's like, Gary talked about this. Why do you have to talk about this? I'm, I didn't bring it up on purpose. It's in the scripture, okay? So I, I want you to hear my heart on this because do you know why so many people go to church and straighten up and then fall away? It's because of their lack of commitment. It's very simple. They are not invested. Now, look at this verse, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, there are many people that misquote this verse, and they say it like this. Where your heart is there your treasure will be also. But that's not what it says. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, our hearts follow our treasure. So if you want your heart to love the house of God and you want your heart to go after God with all of your heart, with all the things of God, then put your treasure and uh, there and then your heart will start going there too. Now, I know this is true. Because I know people who have money in stocks. And they are on the internet checking the market every morning and every evening. Why? Because part of their heart is there. And their heart is there because their treasure is there. Church is a commitment in every area of our lives. We're living in a culture today where people will say, I'll give you my time and my talent, but I'm not going to give you my treasure. And then we have people who make enough money who will say, I'll slap a little money at it and I'll give you the treasure, but I'm not going to give you the time and I'm not going to give you the talent. If you're going to give God everything, be committed to God to go after everything he's got, it will take your time, your talent, 
and your treasure. That is commitment. All right, now that's enough. I want just just ask the Holy Spirit what He's speaking to you, not Doug, but what God is speaking to you. Okay. All right, let's move into the New Testament and look at what Jesus said about building His church. Matthew 16, beginning verses 15 through 16, Jesus asked this question to His disciples. He said to them, "But who do you say that I am?" And Simon Peter answered and said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And then Jesus really basically says, you wouldn't have known that if God hadn't spoken to you. And then he asks this, he replies to Peter in verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, Let me just say this. You have authority being people in the church. You need to use your authority. You can call down healing. You can call down miracles. You can call down signs and wonders because God says, I gave you the keys of the kingdom. Now, you also need to know this is the first time the word church is used in the New Testament. On your notes, the word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, and it means called out and called together. So the church is people called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And as we come to, out of that, we're called together to build a place where God, God's glory and God's presence resides and people are changed by it, even though they're not expecting it. So here's the second point to write down. Jesus is building a house out of people to reach people. Now, I grew up, it always amazed me the kind of people God uses. Just just look to, to the person on your right and left and just say, it amazes me that God's using you. Because <laughs> I, I grew up in church. I found my purpose in church in the house of the Lord. I found my calling in the house of God. I found uh, people I love in the house. I found if you serve the house, you'll find a spouse. No, that's not always true. But it was for me. And, and, and I've been in some meetings where I've seen, I told you last, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and the weird. And... Uh, so when I w- I've been in some meetings where I've seen people flop, drop, uh, and roll, and I've seen them quake and shake and chill and thrill, and some were changed and some got up the same way, and it didn't make any difference, but in others it did. I've been in meetings where a, a person was walking around making sounds like a cuckoo clock, and this guy is going, cuckoo, cuckoo, and this guy said to me, what do you think God's saying through him? I said, I think he's telling us he's cuckoo. That's sort of, uh, I mean, I, had a, I was doing a wedding in church, and as I was doing this wedding, literally, I had the cameraman that was standing right, faint and fall right there. And his face was right at my feet. And it was just, bam. And I was like, what do you do? I'm looking at the, at the people to be married. And I'm in the middle of the vows. And I, I'm looking around. And finally, they hauled him off. And we proceeded, you know. It was awkward. I had an usher in the middle of a message. We had windows all the way around this particular uh, place where I was preaching. And in the middle of my message, this guy decided that the blinds needed to be pulled. He gets up, and there's people. There's seats all around there as well. He gets up on the chair and starts walking over people, pulling down the shades. I mean, oh, that can ruin a message right there. <laughs> and, and then uh, this didn't happen to me, but I heard this story uh, just a couple of weeks ago about this guy's grandfather who died a few days before. 
and they were having the funeral in church. And during the funeral, this guy's father sat straight up in his coffin, got out of the coffin, walked out of his own funeral. He lived seven more years and died on his anniversary day. Now, I don't know about you, but that's weird. But it's cool at the same time. It's like we want to see the dead raised, but somewhere else, you know, or whatever. <laughs> now, I don't know why God has chosen to build his church with people, even though it can get weird, but the people he chooses to build with can be adventurous and exciting. And that's what I love about the church. You never know what God's going to do. Just like Dan walking in here and saying, hey, can I give a testimony? I don't know you. Well, please, let me tell you. Okay, go for it. You know, but, but you don't know what God's going to do. He heals people in the middle of worship. I've been preaching before, and in the middle of my sermon, somebody gets so touched by God, they just jump up and run to the altar and give their lives to Christ. I've been at the end of my sermons where I've given an altar call, and before I could even get it out, people were so hungry for God, they just ran to the altar and gave their lives to Jesus. I'm telling you, this church that Jesus is building is not natural. It's supernatural. Supernatural things can happen in his church. Now, one of the most rewarding things for me is that I've, I've found as a pastor is watching God custom fit people into where they belong in the body of Christ. Look at this, Ephesians 2.22. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So God lives in you. So wherever you go, the church goes. And when we come together, we're all in our places in the body, local body. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 12, 20, Message Bible. For no matter how significant you are, it's only because of what you are a part of. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. An enormous eye or gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but a monster. Why? What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Aren't you glad to hear that? And verse 27 in the Passion Translation, you are the body of the anointed one and each of you is a unique and vital part of it. So how does God build his church? How's Jesus going for this thing? In Ephesians 4, uh, in verse 8, I won't read it today, but I'll tell you. It tells us that Jesus comes to give gifts to his church. So he gave gifts to men. And then verse 11 tells us what these gifts are. It tells us, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Why do saints need to be equipped? For the work of the ministry. Why do we need to do ministry? For the edifying or the building up or the strengthening of the body of Christ. Every time you're in the right place, people get strengthened. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus himself gave these gifts. These are not gifts from the Holy Spirit. These are gifts directly from Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives gifts in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12 at the beginning of the chapter, at the end of the chapter. And the Holy Spirit gives manifestational gifts, motivational gifts, and ministry gifts. But Ephesians 4 tells us about the gifts that Jesus gives, and that means every apostle, which is a spiritual father to local churches and often beyond that to a larger group of churches, uh, pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets and all of that, they are gifts from Jesus to build his church, to equip his church. 
which means I'm a gift to you. So I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but here's the thing. As a pastor, I need to remember I'm not that important. And there is a word used that people forget about, and that is this word. It's used four times in this scripture in verse 11, and it's the word some. Jesus gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Do you know why? Because we don't need that many of them. We just need, they are five equippers, but there's also one word we forget about, and that's the word saints. See, by the way, the word saints means holy and set apart as Christians. That's who we are. You become a saint when you give your life to Jesus Christ. You become holy, set apart. And not every time can an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher be there, which makes you equipper, an equipper for your family, and it makes you an equipper for your friends and your neighbors, anybody you lead to Christ. And as a pastor, I just want you to know, I love to help people get equipped, but I realize it's not all about me. I, I have to serve in other areas as well. I pray for people. I lead, help lead small groups. I witness as best I can and lead people to Christ when I can. And, and I do that not as a pastor, but as a saint. I'm a saint just like you are. So I, I want you to know that. Now, how can you and I be equipped? Here's the way Jesus wants us to be equipped by those apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and other saints. Number one, be available. See, you have probably heard this before, but let me say this again to, to those who haven't heard it. God doesn't need people of ability. He needs people of availability. He needs people with the gift of showing up. And here's why. God has all the ability in the world that, that, that could possibly be. He doesn't need your ability. He just needs you to be available. So that's why comparison is such a terrible thing. You don't have to look at someone and say to yourself, well, I'm not going to go to church. There's nothing for me to do. I'm not going to serve anywhere because everybody else is better at it than I am. Okay, look at this scripture, 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul's instructing his protege, uh, that's a pastor, that when you're looking for people to put in the right place in your body, local body, you want to find faithful people first who will become able. See, here's where the church gets it backwards. When, when we're looking for people to put in leadership positions, and I've made this mistake myself at different times, we have a tendency to look for able people and hope they will become faithful. But God says, find me a faithful person and I will make them able. Just find someone who's faithful and you can count on. And by the way, a faithful person is not a perfect person. It is very important to understand that. In fact, here's what the Lord says about the righteous or faithful person. Proverbs 24, 16. For though the righteous fall seven times, they arise again but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Here's what you and I need to hear. It doesn't say a righteous man never, or a faithful man never fails or falls. That would be a perfect man, and the only one that's perfect is Jesus Christ. So faithfulness is not described by never failing or falling, but faithfulness is described by when we fall, we get back up again. And that's what the church, aren't you grateful for people who get back up again and don't quit? I, I'm telling you. You, you, you don't have to feel like you're alone in this battle. 
We are in it together, and we're here to help each other get back up again. Now, so uh, let's look at Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 again. It says that we should no longer be children. Uh, see, we have a lot of immature children because they have never, ever been equipped. And I want you to know this is one of the hardest things for me as a pastor. I want you to be discipled. I want you to be disciplined ones. I want you to give your all to God, not because it's legalistic, but because you want to live, love, and look like Jesus. And so your world will be attracted and say, man, if that's what Jesus is like, I want him as well, all right? So some people have never been equipped. What happens to them? They get tossed to and fro, cared about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. In other words, they never got to know their Bibles. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ. So here's what the Lord's trying to tell us from these verses. The reason we have not grown up in him, the reason we haven't grown up in love, the reason we haven't spoken the truth in love, the reason we're carried away by every wind of doctrine is because we have not made ourselves available to be equipped. Well, pastor, I'm just too busy. I mean, you're asking me to come to two services. You tell me how important the word is. Yes, I do. And if you want to be equipped, I think it'd be great if you got here to hear the word, the first service, and then get in that second service, go through the fresh start classes, come to church the next week, and, the, and go through the, hear the word, get into the second service, and go through the equipped classes. Because what you're saying is eight weeks out of your life is too much. Or seven weeks out of your life. It's just too much. I'm not available. Uh, the Mariners are calling. The Seahawks are calling. Uh, all these things are, it's just too hard. God, uh, Doug, not God, but it's just too hard. Listen, the only way to become a disciple is make yourself available. Number two, be a servant. Let me show you a position that's higher than any other position in the kingdom. Even an apostle. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Philippians 1.1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. James 1.1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Peter 1.1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle, apostle of Jesus Christ. All of them that knew that uh, they didn't know, but they wrote their letters and they eventually were canonized, not knowing that they were going to be inspired by God for writing. Listen, my gifts mean nothing. One thing means more than anything else, and that's being a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant first, and then I'm an apostle. So listen to what Jesus, he's trying to tell the disciples how important servanthood is in, in Mark 9, 33 through 35. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the road? And they're like this, oh, nothing, nothing. See, they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Like, you can hide from God. So Jesus, verse 3, he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. And in Matthew, when Jesus addresses this, he tells the disciples this, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And if you want to be great in the kingdom, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great in the kingdom. But if you want to do that, you must become the servant of all. And as we serve in the body of Christ, it means we might have to serve somewhere 
that's not in our ultimate gifting. Um, in other words, you might have to be someone who works in children's ministry because it's, there's no one there today. Or you might have to be in the parking lot. Or you might have to, to, to fill in as an usher or door greeter. Or a uh, barista is a little more skilled, so we'll probably do without you if you haven't done that. But <laughs> don't want to poison anybody, all right? So, <laughs> but here's the thing. We, we often don't realize how important giftings are like that and serving in places like that. We just met with some people that were pastors in the past. And for the last 10 years, they've been going to another church. And I said, well, what are you guys doing now? And they said, uh, they, they live out of town. And they said, we're, we're working with autistic kids. And I said, really? I said, do you have a child that's autistic? And here's what they said. They said, no, but 10 years ago, when we started going, somebody grabbed a hold of us and said, hey, would you mind filling in on this particular ministry? And they said, we've been there ever since. They didn't have to. They saw the need. And he said, I don't know if I'm, and she did too, I don't know if I'm really gifted for this, but it meets a need, and we find that they bless us more than we bless them. You know, that's amazing. Now, we've had people come to us and say, you know, we'd like to have something for uh, disabled kids and autistic kids and, and, and this church. And I, I just want you to know we're looking at trying to do that. And as we do that, we're hoping people who don't have autistic kids will be willing to step in and say, I'll help, I'll serve, I'll do whatever it takes. Because when you do that, it changes everything. Now listen to this verse, Ephesians 4, 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, the body grows because every part does its share. So here's a simple question. Are you doing your share? Because depending on you doing your share is how the body grows. And I'm not talking just about numerically. I'm talking about spiritually. It's how we do both if every part is doing its part. Now, the body grows by every part doing its part, but by every joint that supplies. So what is a joint? A joint is where two points or two points, two, two uh, parts come together to be able to make a joint. And together, they're able to do more than they were apart from each other. And here's what I'm trying to say. Find another part and make a joint so you can do more together than you were by yourself. That's how the body gets nourished. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us parts, the parts, and the joints we can't see are the most important parts. Now, when people come in here on Sundays, here's what they say. They see the worship team, they see me, and obviously, oftentimes, they think we're the most important part, but I want you to know that's so far from the truth, not even close to what this church is about. Uh, the truth is, the most important part of this church on a Sunday morning are those people down that hallway that nobody can see, that are serving your kids, raising up the next generation, teaching them about Jesus, and preparing them to take this church in the years ahead. Come on, yeah. Or the facilities person who mops, cleans, and refreshes the bathrooms so you can go into a nice smelling place and do your thing in there, all right? Or the person who volunteers to mow the lawn 
and, and, and you never see them do it. Or the one who, who, who meets with the CR group on Mondays or, or the volunteers who meet with our teenagers on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, it, it's all people you can't see, but they're the ones who make this church and they're the most important parts because they're invisible. Do you realize when the children of Israel, after they were defeated in Jericho, that one person got out of joint. His name was Achan, and he was upset with God and upset with Moses because he didn't get any recognition. He thought that he didn't have enough materials, possessions. And so when they went into Jericho, he stole something that belonged to God, and it caused the whole children or the whole nation of Israel to be defeated by a small enemy because that one person got out of joint and got misplaced. Do you know why there's so many denominations in the world today? Not because God ordained them, but because somebody got upset, got out of joint, and now we have hundreds, thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of denominations throughout the world because somebody didn't like the carpet or whatever else there might be, all right? Now, they didn't feel appreciated. So when people in the local church get out of joint and out of place, it causes churches to be defeated. All right? Now, no matter how small you are, no matter uh, how insignificant you think you are, I want to show you a little clip. It's a domino physics clip. Please watch this. Everybody knows about playing with dominoes, but what you may not know is that a domino can knock over another domino, which is about one and a half times larger. So what I have here is a chain of dominoes. Each one is one and a half times larger than the previous one. And the smallest domino is about five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. And I will carefully place it. And there are 13 dominoes. And the largest domino, it weighs about 100 pounds and is more than a meter tall. Ready? Boom. That was 13 dominoes. Okay, that was 13 dominoes. He goes on to say in that clip, if there were 29 dominoes, the last one would be as large as the Empire State Building. And the point I'm trying to make here is every person in their place can make a great damage against the kingdom of darkness. Now, let me ask you this question. Which domino was the most important one? The small one. The one that everybody, with the little domino was thinking, I can't do anything. Do you realize three dominoes have changed Grace Harbor and beyond when, when Lainey and uh, uh, Shaylin and Christy came to me four years ago and said, we need to do back to school marketplace. Three little dominoes have now touching thousands of people all over Grace Harbor and outside of this county for the glory of Jesus Christ. Never underestimate your potential and your place. Be a servant. Number three, be a minister. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6 say this. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers 
of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. How many know that's true? Just the spirit is what gives life. And don't get worried about all the details, but just do the right thing by the spirit of God. Look at the same uh, scripture uh, in verse 6 in the NIV. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. In the NLT, verse 6, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. So did you know that every one of us, the, one of the most misunderstood phrases in the body of Christ today is this one. Uh, I'm a full-time minister. It's so misunderstood. Or I'm in full-time ministry. Do you think that means, that what we, we think that means people who are involved in church work or work for the church are full-time ministers. We should use this phrase. You might want to memorize this. I am a full-time, I am in full-time vocational ministry because we're all full-time ministers. So I hope you, all of us will, will understand that during each day, uh, we are there to give an answer of the hope that's within us to anyone we're around. And I hope when someone's going through a tough time, you're willing to, and able to say, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I minister to you? We need to understand, as vocational ministers, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's my vocation. But I'm also a minister wherever I'm at. So the way the church is going to reach the world is that the saints get equipped and then begin doing ministry inside the four walls and outside the four walls. So let me ask you this question. How does the medical field receive the gospel? Here's how it happens. He takes full-time ministers, disguises them as doctors and nurses and assistants, and they become full-time vocational ministers of Jesus Christ. How does God reach educators and teachers? He disguises full-time ministers as teachers and educators and has them tell the good news of Jesus Christ. How does God reach police officers? He disguises full-time full ministers as law officers to reach law enforcement. How does he reach attorneys? I don't know. I'm just, I know. <laughs> no, I know. Listen, there are some really good saved attorneys and we we need them in our church we need them in the body of christ and please forgive me for saying that okay all right now <laughs> but i did have fun with it in the first service too all right all right but how about barbershops and hair salons they're full-time ministers i go in to get my hair cut and i'm sitting there and there's four or five i care about everybody's life when i'm sitting there and even the barber will talk to me about their life, you know, so it, it's very fun. They, they just spill out and tell everybody everything because you're stuck there and you got to talk about something. So eventually, it, it happens to bank tellers too, same thing. We're all full-time vocational ministers, but we all need to be equipped so we can do what God has called us to do. Here's the fourth thing you need to write down. Love the body of Christ. The last scripture I'm going to read to you is, takes place during the time where Jesus is, has died on the cross and this is a story we often overlook and don't think it's much, but I think we can learn something significant about this man named Joseph. Matthew 27, verse 57 through 60, it says this. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. So he's born again. He's given his life to Christ. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered 
that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Now, just a little background about this guy so you'll understand this. He lived about 20 miles away from Jerusalem in a town called uh, Arimathea, which is why he's called Joseph of Arimathea because there were many Josephs and they didn't have a last name, so they would say Jesus of Nazareth, Joseph of Arimathea, so they could identify who that guy was. This guy was rich. He had integrity. He had great character. He had resources. He was part of the community of politics called the Sanhedrin. But this guy realized his influence was not all about, was not all about him, but he had significance and wealth for a purpose because once he gave his life to Jesus, everything changed. And he was a disciple and, and, and wanted, and wanted uh, for the kingdom of God to come through his life. He wanted the, the kingdom of God to be realized through him. So what this guy did was so significant for the kingdom. In fact, what, what he did was so significant, it is written in all four gospels. But look what it says here in Matthew 27, 58. It says, he went to Pilate and he begged for the body of Jesus. So Jesus of Arimathea, or Joseph of Arimathea, took his influence. He asked for Jesus' body. He, in fact, he, he didn't just ask for it. He begged for it. And I want us to see this. He, he, he didn't, he, he could, not anybody could just get an audience with Pilate. So this guy took his wealth, took his influence, made an appointment, got in there and said, please. And he probably got on his knees and begged for the body of Christ with everything that was in him. And he used all that he had, his influence, his resources to make. He took responsibility for Jesus' body. He used what God entrusted to him and said, I have to take responsibility for everything that Jesus has done for me. I want to be there for him. I want to provide a place for him. So, look, when I look at this story, I think we all need to ask this question. Am I begging to be part of the body of Christ? Are we begging to be part of the one thing that God is building on this earth? Because of Joseph's revelation of knowing who Jesus was and what he believed and what he was going to do, he was saying, I have to do whatever I can to make sure I take responsibility to be part of the one thing Jesus is doing on this earth. So I need his body. I don't know if he knew the scriptures and the prophecy, but he fulfilled a prophecy in Isaiah that Jesus would be put uh, in a garden tomb. And he fulfilled that prophecy. But here he had bought this beautiful tomb, thinking it was for him and his family. Or maybe he thought, you know, I remember Jesus told me he's going to be raised up in three days. He won't need it that long anyway. Who knows? So he takes the body. He gets Jesus' blood all over him. Takes it, wraps it in linen, and takes it to the tomb. There they cleaned him up. And we know the rest is history. But I want you to see this. The church is not about buildings or programs or meetings, about people being, uh, being recognized. It's about people being called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and light and bondages being broken off of people's lives and strongholds being broken off and miracles happening and, and healings taking place. It's there where you and I can say, I got to be part of his body. I, I just worshiped today, but my worship hopefully brought his presence into this place. I was available. I was a servant. I was a minister in his body today, and I made a difference for someone to come to know 
Jesus Christ. Come on. Joseph loved the body so much, he literally did whatever it took to make it happen. And just think about this. If he hadn't taken his body, Jesus' body probably would have been taken down, thrown in the garbage dump, and left there to rot. But because he took the body, he paved the way for Roman guards to seal that place, paved the way for a miraculous resurrection. And where would we be today if it wasn't for little Joseph's part? That guy was one little domino that knocked over all of hell itself. I'm amazed. So don't ever think. I'm just nobody. So write this down on your notes. Let God use who you are. Take whatever you are and let him use it. And let God use what you have. All right. Now, before I go any further, I have a couple announcements I want to make. Here's the first one. In the next week, I'm getting my knee replaced. One of my knees. Hopefully in the next year I'll get the other one replaced. But, which means I'm going to be out of the pulpit for about six weeks. But how many know it's not about me? It's about God having the right people. And what's so great about this church, we have an amazing lead team these days. So when I'm gone the first two weeks, uh, Jimmy Hargrove is going to be speaking up here two weeks. And he's going to do, first time he's ever spoke two weeks in a row, a little mini-series, like, just like we've been doing the last two weeks. And then after that, Pastor Will is going to speak a little mini-series. And then after that, Pastor Cameron's going to speak a little mini-series. And you're going to hear from three, I think, of the best. I think these guys are great communicators. And you're going to, if I'm asking you as the body to be here and to support them and amen them and clap for them like you do for me and shout them down. And if I, and hopefully you'll want me back after six weeks. That's right. <laughs> now. Here's the other thing I want to announce today, and then we're going to spend just a, a few minutes in worship. Today, we, we, we've been thinking about our youth for a long time, and we know we needed to do something. So today, we want you to meet our new youth pastors, Cameron and Jennifer Lux. Come on up. And if there's any other volunteers for the youth that worked on the youth team, any, anyone here from the youth that, yeah, Eric's here, Laney, are you here? And any others that have been on their teams? Shaylin. Oh, and there you are. Come on up. Yeah, come up here. Yeah. Yeah. And Alex, you've been part of it too. You No? Okay. She said, I don't want to be part of that. No way. <laughs> but here's what I want you to understand. Thank you, guys. Aren't they a great team? And we're excited. Cameron and Jen, here's what you need to know about them. They, they're going to be getting together with these guys back here, but they're also going to get together with other workers. They're going to get together with parents, and they're going to get together with different youth. And then we're going to do some training with them. And hopefully in the next few months, you're going to see a vision launch uh, for our youth that will just go beyond anything we can imagine or think, right? Yeah. So I, I'd, give, I'd give him the mic, but we don't have time. He, he might talk to us. <laughs> So would you stretch your hand towards uh, Cameron and Jennifer? We are so excited to have them here. So, Lord, we thank you that Cameron and Jennifer and this team behind them love our youth far more than we could ever imagine or think. And, Lord, we know that they have taken a big risk. They're stepping out in faith. They have taken a, um, 
less money from a job they have to come here and be part of this. And Lord, I thank you for their faith. And I pray that you'll reward both of them for stepping out. I'm praying, Lord, for a download of your Holy Spirit, your power, that, that all of Grace Harbor and beyond will be rocked by what you do in the youth in this place. I'm praying, God, just like we've been talking about, it'll be a supernatural youth group. It'll be a youth group filled with the Word of God, fun, excitement, supernatural miracles, and all of it just having a blast serving God and being equipped. Use them, Lord, for your glory. Bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I love you guys. We're going to just stand with me, sing for a bit. And uh, if I can have the prayer altar workers come on up, the prayer people. We're not going to do uh, an altar call today, but here's what I want you to do. I know some of you need Jesus. So what I'm going to ask you to do during worship, during this song, get out of your seat. Go tell them, I need Jesus today because the Bible says, if you believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. You need to tell somebody. So go up there and say, I need Jesus. If you need healing, you need marriage restored, whatever it might be, get up here and get prayer. All right? Let's sing and let's worship. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Sing it out to you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Yes, you do. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. And I'm going to see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Yes, you do. Oh, yeah. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you 
know you're touching people's lives. We know you're changing people. We know that there's been hope restored where people have lost hope today. We know, God, that people are walking out of here different and better than what the way they came in. We pray today, Lord, you will help us be the church outside these four walls. That, Lord, wherever we go, we will be vocational, full-time ministers and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord one more big hand. God bless you guys. Enjoy the sunshine. Have an amazing week. See you next Sunday. Don't, for, don't forget, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. It's going to be an amazing night of worship. Be here.